Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studios in Atlanta, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Now, here's your host, Joe Moss. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of On the Money. We are still the number one business show on Business Radio X. Uh, the show is presented by Embassy National Bank. Embassy National Bank is a nationally chartered financial institution, and our deposits are insured by the FDIC, and we're located uh, just off of 85 um, at the Sugarloaf exit. On this show, we discuss topics designed to help small business succeed because at Embassy National Bank, we are proud of how we help small business. I'm Joe Moss, your host and president of Embassy National Bank, and we welcome you to the Subaru of Gwinnett studio. So I think we're going to have a, another good show today. We have Clay Westbrook. of He's the founder and owner of Ascent Strategy Group. So, Clay, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Ascent does, and then we'll kind of get into some of the subjects we're going to talk about. Okay. Well, we, uh, we're we doing a lot of things presently. I still do a lot of work with companies that have either financial problems or litigation concerns, uh, helping advise business owners or advise their attorneys or both, hopefully, in some, in some instances. And um, as curious... To me, uh, a lot of people think the recession is over, but there are some folks that you're still helping. It sort of depends uh, a lot on geography. The The areas that have come back have been the areas, the in-town areas, the, the major urban centers where the economy has come back due to an abundance of cheap credit. But out in the exurbs and in the rural areas, that's where most of, most of the problems I see are coming from these days because they don't have the same access to credit in those areas that you may in a metro area. So what industries are you working most with? Over the years, it's really, there has been no particular um, industry apart from real estate, of course. In the early days, it was virtually all real estate. Is it builders with. and developers or is it business owners or? These days, business owners. Okay. A few real estate deals here and there, but in the in the early years, it was almost all real estate. As the years have gone by, it's become more and more operating small businesses. And these small businesses that uh, is it because they their business is starting to fall off a little bit now, or because they put on too much debt after the recession, or what kind of things are you seeing? Well, these days, it's not so much a function of the economy because most small businesses haven't been taking on a lot of new debt. And they haven't been extended very much credit either. But these days, it's usually due to circumstances beyond someone's control that gets their cash flow or balance sheet out of whack. But the debt amount that, or the, the particular debt that you're working with would have been incurred years ago, I guess, correct? Usually. Okay. Usually. Okay. I find that it doesn't really matter how large or small the loan is. Usually, the, the game plan from the lenders is going to be the same. That's true. Um, sometimes our hands are tied, but we can talk about that a little bit later on. So you you represent the business owner. That's correct. And uh, do you do any consumer work or just the businesses? All commercial. All commercial. Okay. Done a few residential situations for clients with whom we're working on their business items. At this point, what kind of strategies 
or, or how do you how do you what kind of strategies are you working with to help the business owner get out from underneath some of these uh, debt problems that they have? Usually, it is as simple to begin with, at least. Usually, it is as simple as having them understand their own financial situation. Usually, if you don't understand your own financial situation, that's going to be a pretty good uh, a pretty good route to financial distress. And it's surprising that I talk to potential clients and try to ask them questions about their cash flow or their balance sheet that they can't answer and ask them for documents and uh, things that will help me understand their financial picture that they can't lay their hands on or maybe never even ask their CPA to prepare. And these are fairly large businesses. I mean, how would you say annual sales of what? What what range do you work with then? The annual sales is kind of all over the map. I usually look at it in terms of the amount of debt that's at issue. All right. So what kind of amounts of debt do you typically work with? Usually upwards from upwards of a million dollars to 10 or $20 million. Okay. So that's kind of what I didn't want to hear that, but I want to talk about that. So you've got people out there with businesses that are have anywhere from 10 to a million to $20 million worth of debt. And they don't know about their cash flow. Is that what I'm hearing? That's a little scary in, to me. In many instances, that is the root cause of the problem, particularly and, on the lower end. Obviously, the higher the higher you get um, in that number, usually the poor requirements, the the more the bank is obviously going to stay on top of the borrower. Because we talk a lot about on this show about um, reasons people get into business because they have a particular talent and they want to try to uh, make money themselves with that talent. But then quickly they start to grow, and they don't know what to do next, and they have to move away from actually performing their craft and run a business. And that's the transition that a lot of people have trouble making. And they are not equipped to uh, converse intelligently with their own financial advisors. They don't know the right questions to ask in a lot of instances. And... Um, are you finding them uh, having any commu- communication with their banker, or is it a surprise to the banker when things start, maybe payments start getting a little past due? It is, in my experience, always a surprise to the bank. The smaller, the smaller lenders, and I shouldn't say that all of in all of these instances that we're talking about a bank. It can be any number of different finance companies or investors or uh, equity investors or funds, that sort of thing. Any type of creditor. Usually when the check is coming in the mail every month, they're not asking the right questions and uh, ask me no questions. I'll tell you no lies from the borrower. So uh, beyond debt, then you're looking at the entire liability side of the balance sheet, including the equity side helping out equity investors, uh, helping the business deal with their equity investors. So it's the whole gambit. I've worked on a few partnership divorces in the last couple of years, some failed startups, that sort of thing as well. Okay. Typically in the financial dispute, the, uh, the game plans are, have a lot of similarities. So you were an attorney, you're still an attorney. I am a member of the state bar, but I am inactive. You're inactive, but you and you no longer work for a law firm, but you have worked for a law firm. I was a lawyer for 15 years. And you decided you didn't want to do that anymore or what? 
Well, in 2008, the economy sort of decided that I, that I didn't want to do that anymore. Hear that, everybody? Even attorneys had trouble getting through the recession. Especially if uh, most of your big clients were commercial real estate developers. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the, the uh, ones that seemed to have gotten through were the ones that had ponied up with the bankers to uh, get the big fees. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I think. But anyway. And then as a result of all that, it, uh, you've actually written a book. That's right. Debt and Circuses. Debt and Circuses. And tell us about the book, because I'm interested about that book. The subtitle of the book is Protecting Business Owners from Their Enemies, Their Allies, and Themselves. And it is a description of a lot of my experiences over the seven or eight years that I've been doing this, uh, what I've learned, what I saw, what I experienced, and uh, advice that I can give not only to business owners, but also their lawyers, accountants, and financial advisors. Um, and bankers, right? And bankers. Yeah, because I, I did a lot of work out in there and all this. I was always on, the obviously, the bank side. Although I saw a lot of things happening to the business owner, I wasn't in a, my interest was not necessarily what did the debt owner or what the business owner do wrong. It was, hey, come on, let's settle up and let's try to find a deal. Let's try to work through all this. But I guess your work being on the side of the business owner, you live through it w along with them. There is a lot of emotional investment in each case because you see a a small business owner, an entrepreneur really struggling and really having their entire future on the line. And you have to be the objective person to tell them this is a settlement that you should take, or I know you really, really want to, this to be over, but you can't take the settlement because it's only going to lead to ruin down the road. And a lot of those settlements had personal judgments along with them and a lot of other nasty things that really, you know, you, you thought you were getting through it, but it was only just a start of another chapter. If you take the wrong deal, it's absolutely the start of the wrong chapter. And the other big mistake that most business owners make is settling one problem debt by taking on even more problematic debt. And, and lots of times we were brought in when the takeout loan that didn't work out because the money was too expensive goes into default. Now, and, and that environment has just changed so rapidly because uh the the fintechs weren't around at the tail end of the recession that's a really the last three-year phenomenon with the uh what are some of the companies out there cabbage uh, uh, uh easy lender i mean some of these other companies that are out there do you see a lot of business owners that got in trouble with what i would call that short-term hard money usually if unless it is truly used for its intended purpose of short-term financing to bridge the gap or make, uh, make a more promising deal happen. If it's just brought in, if the, if the loan's taken out simply to make ends meet and hope things get better, we're usually, those are the types of cases that we're looking at, yeah, uh, particularly merchant advance loans. And and some to some to a certain extent factoring, but particularly merchant advance loans. Yeah, and the merchant advance loans. Uh, that's where they were lent money, and that you get paid out of the uh, sales that come through the machine, right? Correct. That there's a chapter in the book about that topic, 
how the business owner thinks that they're paying 17% interest on their financing and they're actually paying 60 or 80% because well, of the time value of money. And yeah, and I think buyer beware on all the ads you hear on the radio about how I can get my money in 24 hours and things like that. I mean, it's, that's, uh, and, and those companies haven't been through a full economic cycle. So we really haven't tested you. Companies haven't been real, really tested with, with that. Uh, borrow the borrowing companies. Yeah. I've looked into this a little bit in the merchant in the, on the merchant advance side, the borrowers are typically business that has lots of credit card cash flow. Um, veterinary practices, restaurants, um, convenience stores, things like that, where where they can where they have these credit card receivables, and the finance companies can come in and look at it and uh, engineer the deal to where you're only paying fifteen or twenty percent of your daily receipts, but you're paying it all back in four or five months, and and then when it gets really tricky is once you get the loan paid down about halfway then they're blowing up your phone wanting to give you more money yeah and 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 bankers are 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 sitting back thinking well they've got a first lien on all the assets and everything but they really don't um because someone's got the first lien on the cash and that cash is king in that kind of an environment exactly and and what do they really what is the collateral that they have right right um you're listening to on the money and uh we're talking with clay westbrook uh, owner and president of Ascent Strategy Group, and uh, he helps um, uh, small business owners um, with complicated financial issues, whether it be debt, equity capital, um, and uh, having a really good discussion. And I think, Clay, I think what you do has a lot of value to it because business owners, as we talked about on this show, um, unfortunately don't possess a lot of financial acumen and, and they can get themselves in situations that they really need help with. Sometimes the, uh, the fruits of success are wasted because they don't understand as they expand their operations, how it affects them financially. And the answer is always to borrow more money, uh, or find new investors, not taking into account that you're not going to grow forever, even assuming that the economy doesn't take a turn for the worse. And the point you were making, uh, maybe your margins just aren't there in order to afford. Uh, so sometimes your first loss is the least loss. I mean, if, if you're at the end of the rope, maybe that's might be an answer for you. So, um, as opposed to continue to throw money on, on a business, or, you know, 18% money on a business that's only has a five or 10% return just doesn't make any sense. When it gets down to the, to the end game, you have to what we have to do is convince the business owner and more importantly, their legal counsel that it makes more sense to fight than give in to the modifications or refinances that the, that their current lenders want to do. Uh, and what we want to do is clearly articulate to their creditors why what they want done can't be done. And we also have to make it clear to them that if they want to, if they want to tangle, then we're happy to tangle with them for as long as they want. Let's Set go nicely, to, of course. Yeah, sure. And you got to be nice to your banker, everybody. Um, so let's go back to uh, Debt and Circuses, which is the book you just wrote. I love the title. But um, you said three enemies, enemies, allies, and themselves. So if you had to rank 
hundred if you had to rank percentages between enemies, allies, and themselves, how would where would you put the percentages? Percentages. Like is it is it uh thirty percent enemies? Is it uh more enemies than themselves? Where I don't I don't really know about percentages, but I can rank them in order and that's kind of the way the book is written. It's put it's written into four parts, and the first part is themselves. I uh, thought that's where you were going. How to it, how to stay out of denial and, and deal with reality. Uh, and more importantly, do what has to be done. Uh, I try to make the point that entrepreneurs, it, it seems counterintuitive, but they're really conflict diverse. And uh, they're looking to put something together, uh, not to, to fight. They would rather walk away than fight. But in these situations, they can't walk away. Um, yeah, because they've got personal guarantees on the line. They've got their houses on the line. They've got uh, a nice building on the line that they thought was their retirement, all that. And most importantly, what others will say. Absolutely. Okay. That's a paramount importance in a lot of these cases that people have gotten themselves into serious financial jams, keeping up appearances. So the second, the second part of the book deals with the enemy, and that is knowing and understanding where your creditors are coming from, where the uh, investors are coming from. Are you dealing with the bank? Uh, if so, what size? Is the bank in financially healthy or is the bank in financial trouble? If you're dealing with an investor, what's their, what's their investment goal? Did they purchase this loan from a bank and are now looking to collect? You need to find out what their ultimate aim is. And those fight, like you said early on in the show, I, it surprises me. A lot of those fights are still going on. We had, in fact, we made two loans just this year and to settle some of those where the loans had been purchased. And now the, the people that the hedge funds that bought the loans say, I want to get my money back. And they're really putting pressure on these people, uh, to the point that one was, uh, had to file a bankruptcy when it made no sense mm. to the owner of the debt for them to force the business to do that. And then the other just immediately started a foreclosure because, you know, as you know, in Georgia, once you, you, you can literally foreclose on a property within, uh, about f maybe 45 to 50 days. That's correct. Between the uh, newspaper notice and then the 30 days. And it mm -hmm. comes up quick. It certainly does. And there is a lot of legacy, loans from before the financial crisis that are that are still out there mm -hmm. in some cases it's a blessing in that uh someone with good sense has extended the loan to help the borrower work things out over time and in other cases it's a bit of willful blindness to just allow a piece of collateral that's worthless sit there and not deal with it and take the loss and uh and just hopeful that maybe the problem will go away if i ignore it there's a lot of that in all of these yeah. from uh, on every side. Wow. Um, not at our bank, but um, but I can see with some of the larger banks that were done and through these supposedly uh, failed bank takeovers, I can see how um, it's tough to get your arms around some of the assets as quickly as possible, especially if somebody's paying. The, the failed banks that were acquired by uh, acquired with FDIC assistance, and Georgia had more of them than almost any state. We were ground zero. Indeed, uh, the, the donut around uh, of suburban Atlanta. It was just uh, a wasteland of failed banks. 
that system has done, in my opinion, irreparable harm to all of those communities. I agree. By bringing in uh, an outside uh, third party to purchase these loans and then have your regulator order you to li- not only order order you to liquidate all of those loans, but order you to not establish any business relationships with those borrowers in the meantime. And, to, and take all conceivable means available to collect the money. That's correct. Before you can file for whatever your loss protection was going to be. And most banks that acquired other institutions in loss share transactions took that absolutely literally and would not consider. Well, there are horror stories. I dealt with some. And just for the record, Clay, I've never worked with a bank that did loss share. Uh, my workout was always done with private banks. And the Embassy National Bank, even though we survived, we never took dime one of any federal assistance. I like to throw that in a lot. Well, that's that's a good place to be. And on my side, without the government assistance, you had kind of a free reign on what was the best approach to take with a troubled borrower. And then, and, and you had options. But in the, in the um, uh, loss share agreement clause, you had no options. Uh, you sue on the note. Uh, you, if you can't, if you get a judgment, you collect on the note through a foreclosure. And then anything left over, you go and you confirm your sale, and you go pursue a, a summary judgment against the borrower. And the idea was to kill him. The, the longest and most contentious cases that we worked on lasting three, four years all involved those types of situations. Right, and, and thank goodness for, in, in, in my world, for a couple of judges over in Cobb County who would stand up to some of these guys and just say, enough is enough. Yet you've gotten your money, just go away. We did make a, a bit of an effort to publicize our clients' plight in these situations where a, a very well-performing operating business that simply couldn't refinance all of their debt but had cash flow to service it um, could, just with a modification for a couple of years, work things out fine, but instead end up having to file a $100,000, $200,000 uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And right. And, and, and then what real, from a banker standpoint, um, what really irks me is that some of the banks that, uh, got involved with the law share are being touted as heroes because they make so much money. Now, if the public only knew what went behind some of those profits and transactions and sales, et cetera, they'd be aghast. So maybe that's the next book, Clay. It could be. We, we tried we tried very hard to publicize what was going on, but you can't, you need a hour long business radio show to explain it. You can't explain it in a three minute, uh, evening news, uh, telecast. No. And unfortunately, maybe we'll do a whole nother show on that. Cause I sure I've got examples. I'm sure you've got examples as well. well. Let's go back to the book. Tell me, let's just talk about the, why did you decide to write a book? Well, that's in the book, actually. Okay, good. But <laughs> I'll read it, but give us a to, little. <laughs> to summarize, <laughs> it, it was something that needed to be done. We all, the, the attorneys I worked with, my business partners, my clients, they all said, we ought to write a book about this, and no one ever did. I decided that it was time to do so. Tried to take a couple of hours out of every morning to to write down everything that was in my head and, and a lot of stuff that I had already written down. 
and got it put together and with a lot of great help from some talented people have it put together and, and just have it for sale. The paperback version came out today. And it's on, uh, it's called uh, Debt and Circuses, and you can get it at Amazon? That's correct. Um, I want to get it because I want to I want to read that book. But uh, did you have editorial help, or did you write it all yourself, or how does that work? I did. I, I had an editor, Melissa Hefner, who was a teacher down at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. She did a great job and was wonderful to work with. I had a producer, Melissa Smith, who put together everything in the background so I could focus on doing the things that only I could do. And there were a few other expenses for uh, cover art and formatting for Kindle, those sorts of things. And I really had no idea all of the minute details that go into publishing a book that's not even on paper yet. Right. Did you, are you glad you did it? Uh, absolutely. I've, I've already started on the second one. Oh, good. Oh, good. Well, so many of us say, you know, I need to write a book. And what would, what advice would you give to those people? Well, the main thing that I learned was after you've written it and after you get it edited and just exactly perfect, your work is only beginning. Uh, I think it'll be easier the next time around now that all the mistakes have been made. I hope all of the mistakes have been made. Maybe not. Did you ever get to a point where you were just tired of working on it and you'd read it through it so many times that you just couldn't see it anymore? Not exactly. We decided at the very beginning to set a hard deadline and say, when we get to X date, that's it. Whatever we have, we're taken to market. And that's really the only way to do it. You can spend the rest of your life trying to get it exactly perfect, but every time you look at it in a different frame of mind, you're going to want to change everything. So you simply have to say, on July 31st, we're done, and, and run with what you've done so far. I went through an exercise in the late 90s where I actually wrote and produced a CD um, of original music, and um, the project just kept evolving. But I got to a point where I just couldn't listen to it anymore. It was, it, I was just gotten sick, sick of, of hearing it. And um, that's when the editor really helped, or the producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people have the patience and the ear and the ability to really keep paying attention and keep focused. So I, it would seem to me that if, if someone is writing a book, they need to go ahead and put a team together because they really don't realize what's going to happen toward the end in terms of how do you get it from your head into somebody's hands that's true and when you are the author there are things that you need to be doing like publicity things that only you can do and you really need someone to back you up and and get the other things done that need doing and i really enjoyed the editing process probably Hmm. most of all just because the feedback that i got was very constructive it was a cooperative exercise and and she didn't beat up on me too bad much to my surprise we're getting i want to get to some of your you as we do in every show just so everybody knows um a lot of these questions are just off the off the cuff but the uh the guests will give me a list of questions that they want me to ask so i'm gonna let me pick through some of these and let's let's get to that the one thing that I think you talked about, I do want to go back and try to focus on is how do business owners tend to get in trouble? So spend a little bit more time on that. Well, the, the primary reason is either not paying attention to operational problems or 
not knowing of their existence uh, to the extent that those are two different things. And secondly is staying in denial and hoping things will get better for no good reason and allowing a bad situation to get worse uh, and not try to fix it until it's too late. Good point. Um, you're listening on the money and we're, we're talking to Clay Westbrook who helps small business um, through financial issues with uh, debtors um, and uh, uh, equity owners, uh, bridge money, all those things that can get you in trouble. He's with Ascent Strategy Group and he is the, the founder and owner. And going back to the, you know, how do the get, how do you get in trouble? I guess the biggest thing that I could add to that is a business owner needs to learn, not only learn your craft of why you got into the business, but also step back and learn how to run a business. Um, take the time to understand your financials, your cash flow, your margins, why you make money, where you're losing money, um, how can you enhance your profits, all those things that you've got to do as a business owner. And, and you know, you, you say all those things, but it's, there's so few of them that actually take the time to do it. That's true, uh, which, which brings to mind the third part of the book is uh, helping business owners deal with their allies and nothing is really <clears throat> before in order to keep yourself out of trouble you need to have the right advisors around you and not have negative influences around you or advisors who are really more interested in preserving their own skin than making sure that you as their client are taken care of and and can do well and those allies are not only financial, but they're also um, uh, business allies. I mean, uh, and they're also friend allies. And but they've got to you got to make sure they stay objective. I found throughout the last seven or eight years there were two principal impediments to getting a settlement done with a client's creditors. And the first was my own client's lack of responsiveness insofar as preparing information or providing information that I needed to prepare a presentation to a creditor, or second, my own client's attorney, if not running interference, sometimes even directly working against what I'm trying to do from a strategic standpoint. Yeah, that's a good point because sometimes, you know, God bless them. They do, they, they do provide help, especially if you can get a good one, but sometimes the attorney is working at a cross purpose to what may be the right thing to do it, it's having been a lawyer it's it's a tough place to be because of the issue of legal malpractice and as an advisor there are a lot of common sense things that i can advise a business owner to do that a lawyer would be very reluctant to do simply because if a risk is taken and it turns out that the risk uh, wasn't worth it then they feel like they're getting a lawsuit for them for malpractice, which is why you should never take business advice from a lawyer because the advice is colored by their desire to avoid malpractice liability. Yeah, and the biggest thing that I've saw um, and that I've actually helped friends with who own businesses is the the whole bankruptcy decision. Sometimes I feel like the attorney wants to pull that trigger uh, much quicker than it needs to be pulled. And, and my advice typically to people is let someone 
force you to make that decision. Just don't arbitrarily wake up one day and say, well, I'm just going to file bankruptcy. That's very true. Bankruptcy is is something that you have to understand thoroughly when you get into these situations. And really nobody understands how bankruptcy works. Uh, except for bankruptcy attorneys, most attorneys don't understand exactly what bankruptcy means. It's something that you want to avoid. It's not personally disgraceful. It's something that happens and something that you work through. But the lack of understanding of, of how the bankruptcy process works in some ex- to some extent, how a reorganization can really put the company, the business, back in control of the situation. Yeah, and if you're if you're open with your creditors, really open with your creditors, you can kind of take yourself through what kind of looks like a bankruptcy, but it doesn't have the B word associated with it. That's correct. A- and bankers are very and and equity owners, if they're if you're straight up with them and you tell them what the issues are. Most importantly, if you show them that you understand the problem and what the clear direction and the end game is and a good plan to get there, they'll work with you because nobody wants to lose money. That's correct. And usually the people that come to me don't have that understanding, and that's why they're coming to me in the first place. And so we look at a case, we look at every case from a bankruptcy standpoint to say, does a chapter 11 bankruptcy make sense in these circumstances and if it does we will try our best to explain that to the creditors as clearly as possible so as to avoid that entire process we usually aren't able to persuade them but we do on some occasions but if a chapter 11 reorg is really not a viable option then we take that off the table and we approach the problem from a completely different direction from the very beginning. Yeah, I just recently I saw an example where a, a company had loans that matured and the bank called them. And um, they said, well, we're probably not going to renew these notes. And that was all the conversation was. The next thing I know, the company files a Chapter 11. And they didn't need to do it. I mean, no one had any communication. Nobody mm-hmm. talked. It just went boom. We're calling your note to chapter 11. And um, anyway, that's not a good way to go. Really, the the only appropriate time to file a chapter 11 bankruptcy, if one makes sense, is either the day before the bank's going to get a judgment against you or the day before the bank's going to foreclose on you. Correct. Right. On the court, right before they walk up to the exactly. courthouse steps. Uh, up until that point, there's still room to maneuver. Sure. But you have to be ready to, you have to be prepared to do it. Correct. Usually, if you're prepared to do it, that's that's enough to yeah. to get a settlement. Let's okay. I think you may have answered the question, but I want you to kind of build on a little bit. Um, why is a consultant like you superior to a lawyer in these situations? We talked a little bit about the inherent conflict, as far as the legal malpractice goes, but I did not realize how little I knew about business until I quit practicing law and sort of became responsible for my own food, clothing, and shelter. Right. And most attorneys don't may think that they have a good grasp on how a business operates, but usually that's not the case, and that's not a knock on lawyers. I, I know plenty of fine lawyers, and I seriously doubt that any lawyer would disagree with me on that point. Unless you can 
intelligently explain the business side of the equation in one of these financial disputes, then you're really just talking about a number. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that time and time again. Well, you owe two million. The bank is willing to take a million and a half. That's you save a half a million dollars. Well, if the attorney doesn't understand the financial situation of the company, that really doesn't mean anything. You may not be able to even pay a million five. Correct. They right. may not be able to pay five hundred thousand. Right. Right. And so you really have to, uh, to my to my embarrassment as a fifteen year veteran of the legal profession, that I really didn't understand the motivations of either the business owner nor the creditors in mm-hmm. these situations. Interesting you say that because banking is a lot like that. A lot of the, uh, we saw the impact of it in the, with the recession, but because most people that get promoted up to run a bank come from the lending. So they know how to lend money. They don't know how to run a bank. And, and a workout is a very different thing from a loan in that you sort of need to re underwrite the business from the standpoint of, the reality of the situation, but you're right. Some having not run a business before and having uh, gained their experience through banks, which are by their nature bureaucratic institutions where mm-hmm. procedures are followed and boxes are checked. It's it's hard to the larger ones uh, at the larger ones. <laughs> thank goodness we have community banks that Correct. have flexibility in these matters. You know they they really uh, we found that to be the case quite often that trying to explain the financial reality on the ground to the special assets officer was a serious impediment to getting anything done. And when you're the borrower and you're in special assets, you don't get to talk to anybody else besides mm-hmm. the one guy that's assigned to you. Right. And he may have never, uh, he may have never done anything, but, uh, get his paycheck on the 15th and 30th of every month for the past five years. And, and before the financial crisis, his job was to to take these borrowers out and play golf with them. And now he's yeah, special trying, assets guy. Now, now rather than uh, go on unemployment, he's beaten up on other borrowers. And by the way, just maybe do a, uh, maybe special asset officers, if you've been through it and everything, just because you're a special asset officer gives you no right to be a jerk, <laughs> no right whatsoever. And you always get more with sugar than you do vinegar. So I'll, um, but anyway, it would just frost me when I heard stories from my borrowers, um, that I didn't know before any of this hit, but I would hear stories of other banks and how they were being treated. Um, and there was really no reason for anybody to be treated that way. One of the main points that I make in the early part of the book, dealing with yourself is that you can expect to be treated that way, if you're not, it's a pleasant surprise. But the reason that lenders, creditors, collections type people will question your honor and character and call you a scallywag and a reprobate is because it almost always works and you make payments that you really can't afford to make and make your situation worse. Sure. And so I agree with you that these situations are tough for everybody to deal with. I was always surprised how emotionally invested the special assets guys would get in with these loans. And in the book, I go into a lot of the reasons I think why, but, uh, in the end, these are very intensely personal conflicts. It's not just business. Mm -hmm. Um, there's 
people have preconceived notions of bankers just like and and people have preconceived notions of business owners and and what they what they think and do and those are seldom correct that's true you're not going to believe this clay but we're at the end of I'm going to get the book and then I'm going to have you back on and I'm going to read the book and then we're going to have another conversation. That sounds great. Um, but I'll give, I'll let you wrap it up. Um, what's the most important piece of advice that you could give to our listeners? The most important piece of advice is solving your debt problems by taking on more debt will never work. That's true. <laughs> I like that. Um, I can, I can add to that. Make sure you understand uh, your cash flows and your business before you start putting more stuff on it. And um, comment you made about the merchant thing, uh, really sit down and have someone, if you can't do it, calculate what your true cost of capital is. Because as you say, some of those rates mm -hmm. are just exorbitant. And if you find yourself in a bad spot or worry that you may be, give me a call. Yep. Um, and everybody, based on my conversation with Clay, I, I think he's, he'll have uh, your interest at heart. So, Clay, tell us every your uh, phone number and your um, email and your uh, website so people can get in touch with you. Okay. Well, the name of the book is Debt and Circuses, Protecting Business Owners from Their Enemies, Their Allies, and Themselves. It's available on Amazon today in ebook and paperback formats. My website is www.ascentstrategygroup.com, and my email address is cwestbrook at ascentstrategygroup.com. Okay. Well, I've really enjoyed the conversation, um, and, I, and I do want to have more conversation about, now that we can kind of look back about what really happened during the, quote, Great Recession around Atlanta with borrowers and bankers, but uh, we can have that at a different day. I, I do discuss uh, that in a couple of chapters in the book. Good. Okay. Well, listen, thanks for being here. Um, that's the show for the day. And um, this has been On the Money, the number one small business show on Embassy National, on <laughs> number one small business show on Business Radio X. Hey, even Neil Bortz makes mistakes. On the Money is presented by Embassy National Bank. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at on underscore the underscore money and then the number one you can listen to any of our shows anytime by visiting on the money dot business or download our shows from itunes um and then the new feature we have is seeing the of uh, the video and that's out there on youtube channel under the business radio x dash gwinnett youtube channel um so until the next time this is joe moss at embassy national bank and um gonna add one today be careful out there leave fear in the back seat uh stay authentic and then the other one i'm going to add on here is make sure you understand your cost of capital before you go out and borrow more money so that's it for the day thank you <laughs>